You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. We're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Sharing Socks, the week of greatness so far edition. Greatness on the pitching mound for sure. I'm Lee Allen, the uh, duty geezer at Southside Socks, and with me, my son, and usually West Coast correspondent Will, but today he is the living room correspondent. Uh, so he doesn't have any great insights to bring us from California, instead, from his view out over Lake Michigan. We're going to be talking about this great week where the pitchers, starting pitchers, had this incredible streak. Uh, and a few other things I'd like to get into um, the Aloy situation and Mercedes situation and so forth. Uh, maybe a little talk about Dylan Cease's toe, which uh, Will observed in Tuesday night's victory over the Twins. But I first want to get into, well, uh, what Steve Stone and uh, Jason Benetti talked at at length during Tuesday night's game, which is the desperate need of Major League Baseball to change the game. And they, they were getting into the idea of setting the pitcher's mound back a foot that's being experimented with, and I think it's the Atlantic Coast League, uh, a low-level a, a minor league team. Um, and the need to get rid of this three-two outcomes, strikeout, walk, home run, that is so dull. And Stoney was getting into boy defense is what makes the game. That's what makes it exciting for fans to watch. When I think people are running and people are catching. Uh, and of course, I've ranted and raved about this for a long time. And I, I just think that that what they were talking about, and they they didn't just go into it for a moment. Stoney talked for a long time about, you know making sure that it won't hurt Perch's arms to go that's 62 feet even. He likes maybe two feet back. 
uh, it didn't hurt pitchers' arms when 1969 when they went from a 15-inch mound to a 10-inch mound. So I don't think a couple of feet is going to make any difference. But I, I think you agree with with all of those points. I do. I do. I mean, the game has to change. I'm a little bit more of a um, the the biggest problem is the ball kind of guy. I think the ball is still just way too hot. It's coming off the bat. I mean, with pitchers throwing 100 miles an hour with that live ball, that exit velas are going to be as insane and dangerous as they are now. Um, I like the idea of making some adjustments. My problem with moving the mound back, which is something they talked about uh, this problem as well, is what that does to the diamond itself and how that gives an insane advantage to your base stealers. You know, I, I, you know, they were talking about the advantage, and that certainly exists. I, I think the go-to insane advantage is overdoing it. I mean, you're talking about another hundredth of a second? It's uh, true. But remember, you know, it's more than that. It's more than that because your breaking balls are going to break later. They're going to really have to figure out a whole new way to pitch if you move it back two feet. It's going to it's gonna be something they need to experiment with the miners for years to figure out what kind of advantage this gives to who and when. Um, I realize that the argument is kind of that the pitchers are getting too good and the hitters can't really get any better um, and they want more balls in play. Honestly, I don't necessarily understand how moving it back is going to keep people from hitting the ball to outer space. Uh, it might mean they strike out less. It might mean more deep fly balls and, and ground outs. But I, I don't think once that happens, we're going to see this new world of uh, – well, yeah, you talked about it. The ball is at the core of it, and it is the core of the ball that's necessary. They have done a little bit this year, I think. It looks like a little bit of success in taking some of the juice out that they put in in 2019. And I, I looked up, I looked up some stats on this, and, and that are kind of interesting. It's not necessarily totally meaningful because it's spring and more home runs are hit when it gets hot and and that kind of thing, but. This year, so far, the home run percentage is 3.1%. And that compares to 3.5 last year, 3.6 the year before, which in 2019 is when they juiced the ball. So, and the year before that, it was 3.0. And I even went back to 2011. That's not that long ago. The pitchers were pretty good in 2011. This is not a generational jump. And the home run rate was only 2.5%. Now, we hadn't gotten into loft angle stuff uh, in 2011, which changes the game somewhat. But what goes along with this, and this and this is where it's really bad now, the strikeout ratio this year is higher than last year even, or the year before, 24.2%, 23.4 last year, 23 and uh, 2019 before the juicing, 22.3. In 2011, the strikeout rate was only 18.6%. Uh, again, you start hitting at loft angles, you've got much less bat coverage through the zone. You're going to strike out a lot more. Plus, the pitchers get better, and now they've got all the rotation uh, statistics uh, available to know, oh, boy, if I change this angle a little, I can get this much more spin and so forth. I, I think the ball has to go back to at least to what it was. 
But I, I really think, and I, I've been trying to figure out where do I call a physicist to actually get into this. I've thought about Wright Pat near where we used to live in, in Dayton, which has um, a great lab for the Air Force. It's the main Air Force labs. Uh, to a way to do the ball, I mean, we wouldn't even involve the two feedback, so that it both does not have as much carry for the hitters and does not provide such a great method for the pitchers to uh, throw the way they can. They might cut down on pitching speeds. I know that a little more weight will cut down on pitching speeds. Uh, there's a kid did an excellent, uh, a college kid did an experiment that, I, that I've kept. So I can use it writing sometime uh, with pitchers, uh, with college pitchers, and he changed the weight of the ball that they were throwing. Same pitchers, same situation, changed the weight of the ball. And it would take miles an hour off the pitch if it was just like a half an ounce more. Now you get it half an ounce more as it is. That means tighter packing means it'll go farther for the home run. So it's a difficult equation. But there are physicists who can work this equation. Also, the, uh, one of the things that's supposed to slow down the ball a little this year as far as homers go is the raised uh, ugh, senior moment. The, the, the threats are, are higher. The same thing. Uh, but the threads being higher also helps pitchers get more rotation movement. So, you know, you can't just go on that. It, it, it's a complicated process. I, I don't like to be fair to the commissioner's office, but in this case, you'd be fair that it is difficult. But they have infinite resources to go to Fermi Labs, to go to the physics department of any of hundreds of universities and we've got them right here in in chicago you could come short to northwestern the university of chicago and and there'd be great world-renowned physicists available who like baseball who really like baseball and would we want to help out for that reason uh so it's a complicated problem but it's got to happen it just has to happen that it's not a home run and strikeout world well i mean the the big thing though too is the emphasis on the game has completely changed to the home run so now everyone's hitting with launch angles. And and if your main goal is launch angles, you're going to strike out a lot more. You're not exactly what you said earlier. You're not getting the plate coverage that you would normally get if you're just looking for solid line drive contact. As long as the emphasis is still on home runs, it won't change even if you put that mound back. You put the mound back two feet, now all you're seeing is launch angles sending a ball that was easier to hit just as far. I, I honestly don't know if moving the mound back at all changes the game in terms of the home run to strike out, you might but see, say you've got to deaden the ball some too. You have to deaden the ball. You have to deaden the ball. I, I like the idea of putting a little more weight on the ball. Um, and your 2011 comparison is, is, is good. But the, the thing about that is, uh, you know, we were we were kind of dealing with Araldus Chapman being the guy who throws 101. And now you're talking about every team's got a guy, for the most part, who can throw over 100 miles an hour. It's just a different game. And, you know, the ball's going to fly out a lot faster if it's thrown harder. And in the launch angle era in which we live, that just means home run, home run, home run, home run, or strikeout. Um, moving the mound back, I think if you move it back a foot or even two feet, anytime Billy Hamilton gets on first, he's on second. Anytime Tim Anderson gets on first, he's on second. 
Anytime Luis Robert gets on first, he's on second. Obviously, I like it's not going to it's not going to turn Nelson Cruz into a base stealer all of a sudden. However, it is going to guarantee stolen bases for the elite base stealers, and I don't think that's exciting. I thought uh, you mentioned Billy Hamilton right there. Just as an aside, in Tuesday night's game uh, where he stole third and made it in by about an inch, that mitt has to be outlawed. It just has to. I mean, to, to wear something to protect his hands, fine. But that thing was like a one foot, that's a one foot extension on the hand he's reaching out for. With, and it counts. If that mitt touches the base, that's crazy. That, yeah, that, that it, just, that it's should not really be goofy. I, I do understand why they use the mitt, um, but I think they need to regulate the mitt a little bit more because, you know, it seemed like it was pretty much just like a classic mitten early on. And now, uh, <laughs> I was joking last night, we're getting dangerously close to uh, novelty foam finger territory. Well, I was thinking, you know, we're number one, and <laughs> he touches the bag. Exactly. It's 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 getting too easy. Um, the other thing about, and again, like this is, there is no answer for this yet, but what you're saying is right. MLB has the resources to do research on all of these things, and they're starting to with minor league baseball. To their credit, they are starting to experiment. The only thing I can think about moving the mound back a couple of feet that could keep base dealers in check is that your right-handed pitchers now have a much clearer line of sight to first base. They they can see you a lot easier. So leads would potentially have to be smaller. Again, I don't know for sure, but I know when I was a pitcher, a right-handed pitcher, people can lead off pretty far on right-handed pitchers because it's easy to pick up on their pickoff move. But if the right-handed pitchers have you in their peripheral vision naturally the whole time, you don't really know if they're keeping tabs on you as much as you do right now. So you probably have to stay a step closer to the base. Also, the throw. At that angle, it's faster to make that throw than it is to turn completely sideways and throw. If you have a slightly better angle to first, you can get the ball over there quicker. I I wish I had I wish I was a genius. I wish I had the answer to to all of this. Something has to change, but until until the emphasis gets taken off the shift and the emphasis gets taken off launch angle and the emphasis gets taken off pitching 100 miles an hour, which also I'm for anything that slows the pitching down a little bit just because we're also you know, you're you're burning out people's arms almost immediately these days. You know, your fireball pitchers spend half the year on the DL, and I don't think that's fun for the game at all. Um, so uh, I, I don't know what the answer is. However, uh, something does have to be done because there's there's very little baseball being played these days. It's And I love the pitching. I love watching great pitching. Um, I like the seams being raised a little bit just because I like watching that kind of movement on the ball. It's really, it's really fun to watch, but the fact that so many guys can, you know, get it in there at, at 99 miles an hour, hundred miles an hour. It's just, there's no way to change, no way to change the game until that's different. And until the emphasis is taken off of launch angle, I don't care where they're from. If, if, if the metrics are telling you, your best bets to swing at this angle because home runs are worth more than anything else. 
that's all you're going to swing for all the time. I think I think the ball deadening more than what they've done this year, but but some more of it um, that gets rid of the launch angle may cut down on the strikeouts unto itself because now batters are trying to hit line drives. Exactly, uh, and yeah. they're easier to do because you're 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 coming through the zone at the angle the pitch is coming in. Uh, and the other thing with that, and you mentioned the shifts. Yes, the shifts have made ground ball hitting less valuable, but that's because the batters have not responded well. The batters are just going for a home run, trying to hit it over the shift. If batters learned, and most of them probably have the ability, they just don't practice it at all. To beat the shift is pretty easy. Uh but then the argument is, if it's easy, why does nobody do it? And it's because the ball's coming in at 100 miles an hour, and it's breaking four feet. And it, it is actually extremely difficult to hit against the shift when you're up against all of those elements. Otherwise, I think you would see guys do it all the time. These are Major League Baseball players. I do think the ball deadening would allow them to go back to sort of more fundamental hitting. And actually, the White Sox do a pretty good job with some of oh, these. This year, this year they're really good at it. They're a this lot year, better they're than most great. people. They're a lot better than most teams. Um, and, and, and they're a good example because they've got what, half the home runs pace that they had last year at this time, right about half. They're right up there on run scored. They're, it's not cost them any offense at all to have half as many home runs. Right, absolutely, and it's one of the reasons they've been so fun to watch this year, uh, even with all the injuries and all the struggles. Um, you know, we're we're twenty and thirteen. We're in first place. It hasn't been that much of a struggle, but you know, we've lost some key guys. But they've sort of learned how to manufacture runs, and I don't really think that's a Larusa thing, even though it historically is a Larusa thing. Um, but I credit guys like Tim and Jose and Madrigal forcing teams to play the entire field. Um, and once we kind of have that all around, those shifts have to go away, and you start seeing a lot more doubles, a lot more base hits, a lot more manufactured runs, which is what you want to see when you go to a baseball game. You don't want to see 14 strikeouts and three home runs. You want to see guys being thrown out at home, guys being thrown out at third, guys being thrown out at second, guys you know, really trucking to try to get around to get that run because both teams can manufacture runs. Right now, you know, if you got a team that's that's not hitting home runs and the White Sox are an exception because they're not hitting a lot of home runs and they are manufacturing runs, but most teams aren't capable of doing that right now. So if you got a team that's not hitting home runs, it just means they're not scoring. And that's really boring. That's a really, really bad thing for the game. Um I don't know what the answer is. I really don't. I wish I did. It's so frustrating because, you know, I, I love this game so much. And it is every year it looks less and less like the game that I played. And, of course, things should change. But, you know, the world is advancing in terms of technology and things like that. It shouldn't necessarily affect a game as much What that uses the same ideally the same ball and wooden bat they've been using for forever. Um, so I, I, I don't have an answer. I'm really interested to see how these experiments in the minors go. Um, but I, yeah, I think your, your instinct of take this to Palo Alto and 
take it or take it to the, you know, NASA jet propulsion lab and put a bunch of baseballs flying around in there and see, see what is actually going to change the speed and the rotation and all those things. Yeah. I, I think there are labs all over the country that have a bunch of baseball fans in them that would be happy to participate in all kinds of experiments and they could, they could take a thousand varieties of baseball of different weights. And even if they change the circumference, uh, you know, there is a range of the circumference that's permitted. And it's not like, oh boy, we'd be changing something that's been. And it's just one new change. And, and other things have adopted, like the 1969 lowering of the mound. Uh, it, it, it was uh, a, a pretty good decision at that time. It worked out extremely well. And it's there to be done if only they'll get as desperate as they should get uh, yeah. about getting this done because it's just fading away. It is. It absolutely is. And and they've got to put the work in. It's not going to be a fast change. I mean, this stuff has to has to be researched. It has to be experimented with at all levels before you can bring it into the major leagues. There's so much money involved once you get up to the major leagues that this has, you have to be certain. They really do what you're saying of taking a thousand different baseballs and testing them. That's actually the kind of thing they need to be doing because the game has changed so much that you have to get that picky with it to get it back to resembling the baseball that, you know, Americans truly, truly love the most. And if they don't do that, we're going to lose a, a, a lot of older fans. We're going to lose a lot of younger fans because no one likes to watch that many strikeouts. No one likes to watch it. But we should take a break. Um, when we come back, we will uh, chat a, a bit about pitching, um, maybe talk a little bit about the shell of the twins team that we saw last night. <laughs> uh, definitely some fun stuff to talk about there. Um, so, yeah, we will be right back. All right, welcome back to Sharing Socks. Uh, Geezer, what do you want to talk about? I, I, th- I think it's one thing that you were talking about. We were watching the game together last night, since it's very nice to have you here in Chicago for a while. And we were watching Dylan Cease, who you really think is super more than I do, uh, but who had had a super game before. It was looking like, boy, he's straightened everything out. Ethan Katz, once again, is a genius. Uh, and then last night, he didn't. He had a couple good innings. He had some very bad innings. Only one of them led to three runs, but he was lucky to get out of a couple of other innings and, and threw nearly 100 pitches in five innings to do it. But what you were talking about and pointing out over and over, and, and I started looking, was his toe, his left toes. Can you get, explain that, what, what, what you were talking about? Yeah, so... You know, I'm I'm not an expert on this by any means, but because I was a pitcher and because this was my biggest, uh, this was the biggest contributor onto, you know, I, I was not a, a high-speed thrower. Dylan Cease is a much better pitcher than I ever was. But uh, for me, it was all about location. I mean, I, I had to locate the ball. If, if it wasn't going exactly where I wanted it to go, I got crushed. If it was going where I wanted it to go, I was really hard to hit, even though I didn't throw that hard. Um and the main thing is that left toe, when he goes up and he, he goes into that, you know, sort of leg kick, if his left toe is pointed up at this angle, 
It is a ball every single time. And if it's not a ball, it's because Grandall set up inside and he threw it out over the center of the plate instead of hitting the mitt. Because what that does is when you've got that toe pointed up and that leg comes back around, you're going to land on your left heel. And when you land on your left heel, that's going to pull everything in your entire body to the left, which is going to, which is why last night we saw Dylan Cease throwing outside all night. And it's why we saw him when Grandall would set up inside, laying the ball right over the middle of the plate and seeing it cranked, you know, to outer space on that home run. It is a very, very common thing. And if you want to keep an eye on someone who is actually masterful at that part, it's Lucas Giolito. Lucas Giolito, and you can actually watch the tape between 2018 when they announced in that commercial that he was the worst pitcher in baseball, and now, and you can see the difference in his toe. And Giolito is now an expert at that left toe pointing straight down almost. He's, he's as good as anyone in the majors at that part of the mechanics. And that's why he's started to become the ACS. There's a lot of reasons. He also, of course, changed to the short arm delivery. There's a lot of things going on. The, However, the that, thing, yeah, go ahead. The other thing with the, with, with the toe and what you're talking about, the, the landing on the heel, from my years of mediocre coaching, even I knew if I saw one of my pitchers landing on his heel, I had to get out there and stop him. Not only in, in Cease's case, probably because the way he lands, it pulls it left. The other thing it does, when your heel lands, it jars your body. It's not something you notice, but it does. And it tends to not only, in Cease's case, go left. It makes almost anybody who lands like that go high. Because you go boom, and just this tiny jar as you were releasing is changing the way you are releasing the ball, actually. And it makes the pitch go high. Maybe depends on how hard you land. It could be two inches high. It could be two feet high. Uh, so... That's an and, and interesting thing when you're talking about teenagers that I coach. That's a very hard thing for kids to accept. Anything with their feet. It's the same thing with batting. You talk about, you know, you're turning your toe out on your step. That's that's turning your body out. Feel it. That Feel that muscle up the left side of your body. No, I can't feel it. I don't know. Kids will listen to anything just about, about their hands. But about their feet, it's very hard to get them to to listen and understand what's going on. I presume by the major leagues, that's not the case anymore, but it looks like something that uh, Katz really has to work with him on. It it has to be. And, and I can't imagine it's something that Ethan Katz isn't seeing. But when Katz went out and talked to him, it, it wasn't changed. You know, it's actually not a really hard thing to focus on when you are starting your delivery because you just have to do it for a little bit and it becomes muscle memory. The problem is, He's carrying a lot of tension in his body still because he's not entirely confident. So he's tensing that left foot. You know, it's uh, it's kind of a dance thing, too, between tensing in ballet and then pointing. And basically what he's doing is he's completely tensing that foot, which is causing him to land on that heel, which is jarring his body, which is turning him out. He's falling off the mound. And that's why we saw dozens of high sliders outside of the strike zone. And until he fixes that, and in his great game, I wa- when he, I watch him pitch, I'm almost always watching that toe. That's pretty much the only thing I'm watching. And when he pitched his great game, 
he at least hit at worst his toe was completely flat and he pitches okay when it's level but when he gets it even on this little angle that's when he starts to become elite like Giolito is when Giolito is on and that's what they need to work on him with because Dylan Cease has ace abilities but what he doesn't have is ace confidence and he doesn't have ace mechanics yet the kid can throw we know that. We saw some knuckle curves last night that were just unreal. unreal. Yeah. And it's possible that the knuckle curve, because he's throwing it so much slower, he is not tensing that foot as much as he would on the fastballs and the sliders. But the big problem with something like that is that if I'm seeing it, it means Nelson Cruz is seeing it, which means the second that Dylan goes up and that toe's pointed to the sky, they know they don't have to swing. Unless they see Grandall setting up inside for the right-handed batter, then they know he's probably going to lay it out directly across the middle of the plate. Major League hitters are way too good to be doing stuff like that. That is an absolute tell. I'm a terrible hitter. I would be looking for that right away. You can sense where Grandall is back there, even if you're not doing the Cody Bellinger <laughs> sneak a peek. Uh, but if you sense him set up inside you know that that's probably going to be right in the wheelhouse. Um, and I think it is something you can fix. It's just, it's it's mind-boggling. I know that my coaches certainly uh, were baffled by my inability to do it for a while. But once I did make that change, it completely changed my command of the ball. Not just control. I always had control, but it changed my command of the ball. I was putting the ball exactly where I wanted it almost every time, which allowed me to be successful with subpar, sub-average speed, way below average speed, really. I had a good breaking ball, but really below yeah. average speed. The, the other thing with with, with Cease, well, well, Radham, and, and not to attack him, is he, with that falling off, now every pitcher falls off to his glove side. I mean, uh, that's just the way it is because of the propulsion. But he really falls off and turns and he is in no position to field the position. I mean, he almost, he almost had his head taken off by one line drive last night, which he probably never saw. What are you talking? What are you talking about? He fielded that ball with his butt cheeks perfectly last well, night. Not, well, I wasn't referring <laughs> to that one, but that was it was a nice butt cheek save. But <laughs> but I think he would prefer not to be hit by the hundred and thirteen mile an hour ground ball, <laughs> or by the line drive that was going right by his head. Yeah, um, he needs to kind of work something out where he's got some attention being paid to the plate so he can field it, which I just want to bring up something because it made me think, what are the great fielding pitchers? Well, Mark Burley was a great fielding pitcher. Yeah. Out the mostly lefties. So um, Dallas Keuchel, though. Uh, yes, Keuchel is a fantastic fielding pitcher. Again, a fairly slow-going lefty. Jim Cott, for years and years, was the best fielding pitcher in the game. Again, fairly throwful. And it goes back to Harvey Haddock's three gold gloves, the cats, they called them. And I just remember because our pitching was so good with the starting pitch. You know, Haddock's pitched the greatest game in the history of baseball in 1959. Twelve innings of perfect game and then lost the game one nothing in the 13th after an error. Uh, but he was a, a marvelous fielder. And, marvelous, and I was just reading up in the game. I was looking to see when it was. And it was May 26th. So we're almost on the, the anniversary of, of 1959. And in 1989, somebody from 
uh, the Braves organization revealed that during that game, the bullpen was stealing all the signs. And they were hanging a towel or not hanging a towel on the bullpen fence, depending on whether he was throwing a fastball or a curve, which was all he had. He didn't have a changeup. Uh, and they said that every player, every batter used that cheat, except Hank Aaron. Hank Aaron wouldn't use it. Wow. Didn't want to use it. Didn't. But everybody else knew what pitches were coming. And he threw 12 innings, a perfect game against the best hitting team in the National League, the Braves then, were a powerhouse. <laughs> Anyhow, that's that's a total aside. Let's go back to the rest of the pitching. We, we went through the entire rotation of starting pitchers, four in a row shutouts, and then one run off, off Giolito. So one run through a time through, and that kind of got ruined Tuesday night with the three runs against Cease. But um, still. still. Amazing. <laughs> and, you know, the bullpen's giving up runs. Uh, the bullpen uh, – got saved a lot. Uh, Tuesday night, we had problems again from Foster and Hoyer being saved by Crochet and Bummer. And that's on the bullpen side. That's, that's the story right now. Bummer's back. He struggled at the start of the season. Every time he came in, the first guy got on, usually walked. Uh, Boy, he's back. (laughs) He he just looks like good luck guys trying to hit this. Yeah, that's the thing. Aaron Bummer, and, and I've, I think I've even said this before on the podcast, Aaron Bummer's sinker when it's on is the best pitch in all of baseball. It is almost impossible to tell that it's not a fastball when it comes out of his hand. And it dives. <laughs> I mean, I've never seen a pitch break as late and as hard. Uh, as I was going to say the lateness is, lateness is the key. Which is why it is so tough. Because it looks like it's coming out of his hand as a fastball, and it stays looking like it's a fastball. And you know, when you're dealing with milliseconds and and reaction times, when you got a ball that's breaking a foot in front of the plate and it's dropping seven inches, you can't hit that. Nobody can hit that. If you hang it, it's meat and potatoes. Like if you're if you're not getting that break or if it's breaking too early, then it's a pretty easy pitch to hit. We were seeing a lot of that early on with him. We were also just seeing a little bit of a less command of the ball. He he just hadn't quite gotten back in the rhythm. Now he just he's pitching with confidence. The sinker looks incredible. I mean, just incredible. We all we we saw some great splitters last night from Kenta Maeda uh, during one at bat against Moncada. Uh, but uh, you know, other than that, Bummer had the pitches of the game. I mean, it, it's just it's becoming so consistent. And it's going to be, unless they make some of these mound adjustments we're talking about, it's going to be virtually impossible to hit when it's on. He's back. He is back, baby. Who's not back is the Minnesota Twins, which is nice. That was supposed to be our great rival. I originally thought, boy, they'd probably take the division. We'll, we'll get in a wild card. I, I, they're, I mean, they're, miss, they're missing Buxton. They're missing some other things. And Buxton certainly is the key. He's their best, best hitter, their best player, their best the defender, best their best everything. Uh, and he will be back uh, presumably by the by the end of the month. But they just look terrible. Uh, they they don't look like they're coming back and going to be a great threat at, at any time. I'm, they'll be better than they are now, certainly. But I just think at this point, yeah, they can't take it for granted. But I think the White Sox are going to win this division and they're going to win it fairly easily. They have. It's interesting. Uh, the people who do these really good scientific analyses of strength of schedule uh, all have the White Sox as the easiest schedule in baseball so far, by far. 
I mean, nobody's close to having an easier schedule. And you can look at that. Look at the teams we've played. I mean, yeah, we haven't yeah. played the Yankees or the A's or the Rays or the Astros or the Blue Jays. Uh, that'll change things. But they also say, even with those teams coming up, the same analyses say that the White Sox have by far the easiest schedule for the rest of the season, too. And of course, that's being you're in the AL Central and, and it's pathetic. Cleveland, as usual, is coming up with pitchers out of nowhere. Uh, I mean, yeah, long, long I, time. but otherwise Minnesota, Minnesota looked like a shell of themselves last night. I, I'm sure there will be a bit of a turnaround there at some point. Um, I don't anticipate them coming all the way back and being the powerhouse that they've been the last two years um, for the White Sox to win this division and win it safely. It's just going to come down to injuries. If the five starters stay healthy, we, I do believe we will run away with this division. The five starters are showing us that they are the best five in Major League Baseball. I did not expect to feel that way about all five starters coming into this season. We were way more sure about the bullpen than we were about the starters. It's kind of the other way. Uh, But I am definitely at the point where I firmly believe that if those five guys stay healthy, which is a big ask, uh, especially in the 162-game year after just a 60-game year. Um, I think if they stay healthy, you're looking at a, a 95-win season, uh, somewhere up around there, maybe even more. And then the first- when that happens, we get Aloy back and we get Luis back, potentially, for a playoff run. And I would not want to face this lineup, which is currently – terrifying to face. I would not want to face them with two additional guys who can hit 500 feet. Um, it, it'll be interesting. The weekend of the 20th weekend after this next weekend, uh, the weekend of the 21st, 22nd, 23rd, I think it is. We're in New York. That's going to be a very interesting weekend. Yeah. Um, Cause they're back mostly healthy again. Uh, and they, after a very bad start, the Yankees are tearing it up. Yeah. The Yankees uh, so are, the Yankees are that's going to how we expected them to play. You know, we, yeah, we expect a, a New very York interesting weekend. You mentioned the, the injuries and I'm probably running out of time, but a, a very quick thing. It's turned out, and this is no way uh, dissing Aloy, who I love, but it's turned out that actually Aloy's injury has not hurt at all and may have benefited because had he not been hurt, uh, the designated hitter would be Andrew Vaughn who's doing fine and it turns out can play left field, although takes really interesting routes and has to dive and leap for things that but he gets there. <laughs> I, I, th- I think I read one, one dive he did earlier this week. Uh, one of the write-ups said it was a generous route. Yes. <laughs> was I even saw him <laughs> saying it. He, he, he made that diving catch and then he looked over to, uh, it might've been Hamilton in center field at that point or Lurie. And he just goes, with this big <laughs> gesture, like, yeah, I took the long way. <laughs> but but had that been the case, your mean Mercedes would be tearing up the game in Charlotte. He wouldn't be on the roster. Yeah. Uh, we wouldn't have this phenomenon. He's not quite hitting 400 as of uh, today, recording Wednesday afternoon. But this phenomenon would not exist at this point. So we really haven't lost anything thus far from, and, and Vaughn has turned out to be, well, he's certainly barely, you know, just an adequate left fielder. He's better than Aloy, who's a terrible left fielder. Yeah. Uh, Robert is 
overall the much bigger loss, particularly until uh, Adam Engel comes back. But uh, it's, it's we had, even, we with, had even good with Engel news. back, it's serious. We had good news about Robert, though, this week. It's not going to require surgery. It's just going to be rest and rehabilitation. So I do actually think we will get Luis Robert back in a couple months, three months, four months. And um, it, he, I think, will be back in time to play some before we gear up for the playoffs. I think Aloy is probably still, you never know. You never know how that injury will will do it. But that is all the time we have for today. Uh, any final words from the geezer? Well, we're, we're going to the game together tomorrow, Thursday That's afternoon. Right. Was, first, first, first game in two years. <laughs> I wasn't sure if, uh, if you were, you were even going to bring it up. Uh, but there we go. And we will see Carlos Rodon on the bump, uh, which I am extremely excited about. Something I fully admit I am, I'm eating dirt on about Rodon and how I talked about him before the season. I think I even poo-pooed his $3 million one-year contract, which is now looking, I did not. <laughs> which is now looking like the best value in all of professional sports. Um, so I am so excited to see him pitch. Um, and, uh, the twins are actually going to have a, a decent guy on the mound as well and Pineda. So we should, uh, we should be able to see a pretty exciting baseball game. And, uh, hopefully we will see Rodon's second no hitter of the year. Uh, second out of five, I'm predicting, right here for the first time. You heard it, which will be one less than Dylan Cease's six uh, no-hitters on the year because this is a no-hitter year we're learning. Um, but, yeah, it's very exciting. Uh, so next time we will report not only on baseball we've watched on TV, but baseball we saw in person. That's it for today. Thank you for listening to Sharing Socks.